Bell announced on Thursday that it plans to lay off 9% of its workforce, placing much of the blame on CRTC regulations. Belleville, Ontario declares a state of emergency after nearly two dozen overdoses in less than 48 hours. The government's housing target is off by 1.5 million houses due to outdated and inaccurate population projections. Hello Canada, it's Friday, February 9th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Cosmin Georgia. And I'm Isaac Lamaru. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Bell Media's parent company is slashing 9% of its workforce, placing much of the blame on a recent decision by the CRTC that regulates and supervises broadcasting and telecommunications in Canada. The cuts have resulted in Bell Media terminating multiple television newscasts, other programming cuts, and the sale of 45 of its 103 regional radio stations. A total of 4,800 employees will be affected. The company also announced plans to close 107 The Source stores while starting a partnership with Best Buy Canada to operate the remaining stores rebranded as Best Buy Express. Mirko Bibic, president and CEO of Bell Canada Enterprises, wrote an open letter to Bell employees. Bibic wrote, quote, of particular concern is a recent decision by the CRTC forcing Bell to provide third-party resellers access to our high-speed fiber network before we even have had an opportunity to recoup our multi-billion dollar investment. Bibic added that Bell continues to incur $40 million in annual operating losses despite having the most-watched network of local TV stations. He added that Bell's transformation requires it to move away from highly regulated areas, where demand and revenue are declining. The Montreal-based telecom behemoth reported a 23% decline in fourth-quarter profits, which fell to $435 million. Despite the downturn, the company aims to achieve savings between $150 million to $200 million in 2024 through these restructuring measures. So I have to say, Isaac, I have little sympathy for Bell Media personally. I mean, this is one of the major telecom companies that forms a monopoly in Canada. And they don't only have a monopoly on media, they also have a monopoly on, you know, cell phone plans. And we know that Bell is going to be hiking prices for Canadians. Yet this particular issue is important because it does impact what news Canadians read. And the Trudeau government's online regulation bills, both Bill C-18 and C-11, have been in effect for at least a few months and has resulted in Meta removing news from its platforms. And yet here we have another legacy media outlet announcing a string of cuts. Now, Isaac, is it time for the government to admit that their online regulation bills just aren't working? Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it, Cosman? Obviously, bills C-11 and C-18 are about government censorship and ultimately control, as it gives them the ability to control the content you can access on the internet. In theory, this would help 
state-sponsored legacy media outlets, uh, considering they're the things that you'll see. But of course, this has backfired on the government, the legacy media outlets, and ultimately, the Canadian people, since Meta, instead of paying the Canadian government, just removed the news from its platforms, and, and realistically, who could blame them? If I were a high-ranking legacy media official with any say in the company, I don't know what the right move would be. They, they get an unbelievable amount of government funding like the CBC getting $1.4 billion and then still proceeding to claim a deficit. Obviously, if you have $2 billion in expenses entirely paid for by the government, I don't know how you could ever oppose them uh, as them taking away the funding would, would cripple your, your failing business. Everyone knows Bills C-11 and, and C-18 are not working and, and frankly are a threat to democracy. But why is this federal government so hesitant to admit their mistakes, as we've similarly seen with the carbon tax. I don't really see a reality wherein the legacy media could survive without government funding. If they lost it, and I believe they would if Poilievre reforms government, then I really don't see how they'll manage to stay alive. I mean, if you can't be profitable with hundreds of millions or even billions of funding, then how is it possible that you'll be able to be profitable with no funding at all? No, absolutely. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're operating on an outdated business model. And there's no way to transition from being this legacy media company that owns all of these radio stations, you know, TV stations across the country, uh, which at one point in time might have given you an advantage, but now uh, is just a re redundancy. And it doesn't really give you an edge when it comes to the digital world that we live in currently because because of the internet we have access to things we wouldn't have before you don't need to have a reporter present physically in every major city in Canada to be able to report on the going ons there right you can tune into city council meetings online you can reach people uh, over the internet you can participate in local reporting uh, from virtually anywhere in Canada. So as these companies attempt to catch up with the contemporary landscape, they're going to have to downsize. There's just like no way. And some of these companies uh, are just not going to succeed. They're going to fail. And we're seeing it all of the time, but we have to look on the bright side that actually does leave room for the success of independent media like True North, which has continued to grow over the past few years. And we're really filling in the holes that the traditional media is leaving behind. After nearly two dozen overdoses in less than 48 hours, an eastern Ontario city is declaring a state of emergency. Belleville, Ontario has made the declaration following a surge in overdoses, including 14 in a two-hour period on Tuesday afternoon. This follows a warning issued by the city's police force urging the public to avoid unnecessary travel to the downtown area and to exercise caution after reports of a, quote, significant number of overdoses. Police urged residents to avoid areas where emergency personnel were actively engaged and for motorists to ensure traffic lanes remained clear for emergency vehicles. Emergency responders were called to five overdoses between 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. on January 31st. Police Chief Mike Callahan warned in November of the local opioid crisis as Hastings Quint paramedics responded to 90 drug poisoning calls in one week. 
Cosman, it's clear the opioid crisis isn't just affecting big cities, but smaller cities as well. Do you think the government's safe supply or harm reduction approach is working? No, absolutely not. And I think British Columbia is an example of this. Here we have essentially decriminalized all use of drugs. Uh, the provincial government requested from the federal government an exemption uh, to the criminal code. And now you, you can't even get arrested for, for having fentanyl on you. And it's unfortunate because we are so long into this and we've listened to these advocates of so-called safe supplies of hard drugs and, and this harm reduction approach where they have centers where you can go, you know, shoot up needles and it hasn't worked. You just go out on the streets and you notice that things are getting worse and not better. And particularly one of the reasons is because we haven't addressed the underlying issues that force people, uh, certain people into addiction, right? We have a cost of living crisis. People are becoming homeless and they're entering a world where they're exposed to drugs, uh, cheap drugs actually, and, and drugs that are readily available and easy to access because you're never going to get arrested. The dealers aren't getting arrested. They're distributing these narcotics uh, in broad daylight. So we have completely went all in on this, you know, so-called compassionate but ultimately destructive policy. And we just have to ask ourselves, like, when are we going to change tactics? Because clearly things are, are accelerating in the wrong direction. The Canadian government's housing target for 2030 is based on outdated and inaccurate population projections, according to a new report by CIBC. The CIBC Capital Markets report published Wednesday reveals that the actual population of Canada is much higher than expected, mainly due to the influx of new permanent residents who have a higher demand for housing than the average Canadian. CIBC estimates that the actual housing demand by 2030 will be at least 5 million units and not the 3.5 million projected by the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation. This means that the current housing supply is insufficient to meet the needs of a growing and diverse population, and the affordability crisis for home buyers and renters is unlikely to be resolved anytime soon. Although the federal government has announced a cap on incoming international students, it's very unlikely that it will address the issue at hand. Internal federal documents show that bureaucrats have warned the government that its record immigration targets would strain the housing supply. Yet, the Liberal government has set a target of allowing 500,000 new immigrants to Canada per year. Isaac, I did a little bit of math when I was writing this article, and the 5 million houses target by 2030, over the next six years, that would require, that would require I think, a little over 830,000 homes or units, rather, to be built every every year and currently our our, our last year's target was uh, around 250,000 so we would essentially have to quadruple the construction of housing in this country and to me that's I, I honestly just don't see a future where that could happen 
So, Isaac, how can any government reach this ambitious target? And, and it is very ambitious of 5 million units in 2030. Do we lower taxes, reduce red tape? Do we cut the immigration so that our housing supply can catch up? Yeah, Cosman, obviously, that's a very tough question. Uh, and lowering the country's immigration numbers would be a great place to start, in my opinion. But based on how this federal government has handled the situation to date, I see that as very unlikely. The liberals say they have a target of 500,000 per year, but we know that way more than that are coming as non-permanent residents, a reality that forced municipalities to deal with 1.4 million more people than they thought they'd have to last year. And it remains to be seen what Poilievre's immigration policy will be should he form government. But like you uh, mentioned there, Cosman, there were about 240,000 housing starts last year. And what I found interesting was there were 261,000 849 in 2022 and 271,198 in 2021. So we're actually going down every single year, not up, which is what would be required, obviously, to reach 5 million. We would need to build, in fact, four times more houses a year than we currently are, which, as you said, would be about 830,000 starts a year, which I don't even see as possible because, for example, the United States of America are only building about 1.4 million houses a year. So realistically, based on those numbers, I can only see less immigration as the answer because I just can't see a possibility where we'd be able to reach those numbers. Can you? Well, no, unless there's a massive overhaul and we basically all as a society commit to just building houses and we just restructure the economy to focus heavily on construction. But there's just it's so difficult and and the alternative is they're going to build, you know, massive complexes uh, and just j jam pack people into them instead of single unit houses, which is what I think most people want. I think the average family wants a single unit house, you know, with a backyard uh, where they can raise their children. But that's I, I'm, I'm afraid that's probably not what our government has in mind when it comes to the solution for housing, they're going to continue to build, you know, apartment complexes. And of course, there's nothing wrong with living in an apartment or a condo. But I think it's just goes to show like where we are as a society, because at one point in time, for, well, for most of time, I, I think for quite a long time, the option to just buy a, a single family home, uh, just like a bungalow was the status quo that was what was available to anybody who put in the just a you know a normal amount of work entered the workforce and saved some money and they would be able to afford a home but that's not even an option for a lot of people it's not even an option now for people with two incomes like you you'd have to make i forget what the numbers were but you'd have to make what a quarter million dollars a year to just buy a home in the gta so yeah, it's it's uh, very, very concerning. Uh, I think it will lead a lot of people to actually leave Canada. And I we are seeing emigration as a concern as well, and not just immigration. There are more people leaving the country. Even new immigrants are leaving the country. I know people uh, who are immigrants who have abandoned Canada, like young professional people who were educated, raised here. And they said, screw it. it. We don't have a future here. And they went back to Romania or Poland or, or elsewhere.
That's it for today, folks. Make sure to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thank you.